Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Hangouts, the first episode of March 2021. We're still indoors, and I'm still your host, Diego Crespo. Still with me is my co-host, Gina Versa. How are you? Hey, hey how you doing? Good to uh, see you again, my friend. Yeah, good to see you, too. I am exhausted, but not for the reasons you may think. Uh, how are you doing, Gene? What's what's up? What's up? In the, what's new with you? I think we have something new together, actually. Yes. Yeah, I'm uh, doing well, healthy. Uh, me and my uh, family, uh, we were all uh, vaccinated um, in the last month. Uh, my grandpa got it first, then my dad, then me and my mom. And uh, yeah, you know, I've been uh, been uh, helping them with that and uh, kind of living living there. But, uh, you know, I'm very uh, thankful and fortunate uh, that uh, my family is healthy right now and yours as well. Yeah, so so far, um, yes, sir. yeah, both got vaccinated, and uh, it was a complete like luck of the draw, surprise moment where USC basically had an overflow, and uh, the word got out very fast. And I and and many of my loved ones and uh, some friends were able to to go get it. And quite frankly, uh, not from the I guess most popular communities in the country. And I don't know when we would have been vaccinated otherwise. And so um, I, I'm very grateful for that. And I do wish that the, the rollout was going a little better and steadier. Uh, I'm going to take the ones I can get, but I won't stop banging the drum because like, like this is like not acceptable, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, to, uh... how, but let's just talk about the vaccine before we get into the, sure. into the code. Um, people talk about like post injection symptoms. I had like a minor soreness with my arm and then I felt fine uh, a relative of mine who's a bigger dude uh, like over six feet big complained of a sore arm all day and then that was it like uh, how about you anything on report oh yeah um, so I, I personally just had um, just my I had it in my left arm left shoulder here um, it felt sore the next day like if um, I had a bruise like someone maybe like hit me in the arm but you know, maybe I tensed up my arm or what have you. So, you know, I was completely fine. My mom had a very slight headache and uh, my dad and my grandpa, they, they did not have any like symptoms whatsoever. They were, they were fine. So that, that was my person. That was my experience. Yeah. And you know what? Better than COVID. So yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, had, uh, yeah. Oh. I, yeah. I was going to tell you the, you know, the, I wouldn't wish that on anyone because uh, last summer, uh, you know, all my roommates got it except me and, you know, young people, they get fevers, they get like, uh, you know, their body aches. It's, it's not fun to have it. So do your, do your part and like stay safe and get vaccinated. Uh, down below the, to the website that I registered through CalVax It's for California residents only. I'm sorry, but um, obviously we'll share whatever we can on our social media is the more like we learn about uh, public access to this stuff because that's important but also here to help us talk about outbreaks and vaccines and i promise movie discussions at some point <laughs> is our old friend soren ho how i'm sorry i fucked that up didn't i hello <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> is, is it's it totally fine it's how it's how but it doesn't okay. matter ah okay soren how i said it right <laughs> i will so because i'm a man of honesty <laughs> yeah um, well it's great to be here I'm, it's, it's good to be back uh, on Waffle Press so yeah. it's been 
uh, I feel like years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was trying to like look through our archives, and I, I believe the last one that you were on with Diego was like for the Star Wars, which was like six years, almost six years ago. Yeah, yeah. So we we did Attack of the Clones, uh, where we were we were revisiting. I think it was this, pri- this was in the lead up to the Force Awakens, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, and Diego was doing that whole, uh, he had a whole, like, it was like a cinematic introduction and it was a whole thing. Um, but that was really fun, actually. It was really cool to go back and look at those movies from, uh, at the time, you know, like a, you know, a modern perspective and, uh, and reflect on them and, and find that actually there was, there was more merit there than I, than I had uh, anticipated. I think before that we were, um, uh, we, we did a, a um, an episode on Age of Ultron. Uh, where I think I was, I was sort of on the attack, and I think Diego was defending. <laughs> and uh, and then I think more recently than either of those, though, uh, Diego came on to um, the podcast over at Movie Fail when we were talking about onto Stark Contrast when we were talking about uh, I think the Long Night or something from from Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the best Game of Thrones podcast back in the day. I, I genuinely mean that. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone, I mean, else- we have to start a new podcast on the new uh, the new prequel series. Dance I don't guess we'll do it to be honest with you. <laughs> you don't have that. We we saw the Game of Thrones. We got it. You know, yeah. we got the did, gist. Did you yeah. like? It's enough already. You, yeah. Did you like the last season though? The last one. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> you should listen to the last few episodes of that that podcast where we had some guests on. It's so funny because every time someone comes on, I'm just like, make it stop. <laughs> I just want this to end. <laughs> this is so painful. <laughs> I will genuinely think down to. Uh, that podcast is not just because I and that episode was excellent but like you and esther had like such a fun rapport mm-hmm. and through the journey of the show you two caught it like you called it way earlier not just in terms <laughs> of like, esther just like called a lot of stuff but like um everyone slowly turned on the show but you you two understood immediately like no this isn't this isn't the same show anymore that it's it's going downhill and it, it yeah, well we cut it was actually it was towards the end of the it was the in the last season we kept saying you know everyone's catching up to us uh <laughs> like we called this <laughs> so long ago i mean the truth is i think a lot of people uh really consider it's like seven season seven and eight were particularly bad but i think I think if people go back and really watch it and see it all together, it'll be quite obvious that it starts earlier, like the problems. Yeah. Like was I, it, I, that was season it. five is the worst one. I still think season five is like an unwatchable season of television with like exceptions, right? <laughs> um, but it has the Battle of the Bastards, which was really good. That's true. But no, no, no. Season. That, oh. season, really? five, season five has Hard Home, though. Which oh, is Hard Home is great. Yeah, and that's so- like that season everything else is just like well so this is the thing not to turn this into a game of thrones podcast but we um it was actually on the episode with you diego that we we started the the save us uh sapochnik save us or save us sapochnik uh hashtag mm-hmm. and um and actually i think he isn't he uh show running one of the new up the new shows so that's why it feels like it kind of you know maybe but i don't know hey look if if you get the david for me off, once if you get the- back he might be able to make it because that that dude's like a fantastic director yeah um, at least but like so i don't know maybe maybe he could work some of his magic i won't hold my breath though <laughs> yeah yeah we'll, we'll see yeah at least we have those spinoffs and stuff and the davids are gone and they're not going to do that confederate show or star wars 
No one knows. But they're not doing Star Wars either. Yeah, the the show that they kind of bailed on Game of Thrones for. <laughs> they're not right. even doing that. Right. I know they weren't doing Confederate, but the, the Star Wars um series that they were gonna do, are they not doing that? Yeah, they're they're gone. They're done. Oh wow. Okay. Well, yeah, probably for the best. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> probably. But yes. um, oh, uh, really quick, it was oh um, we usually ask uh, guests like how they're doing in these times. How how have you been, Thorne? Actually, doing all right. So I actually live in the. Uh, you can't tell from my obviously very real background because um, I'm definitely in the middle of the woods right now. But uh, no, I'm I'm actually overseas. I, I live in the UK uh, now, and um, so the whole the whole dynamics a bit different here. Um, in some ways, in other ways, it's very similar in that you know we're in a national lockdown, um, and you know state by state, you have similar things going on in, uh, across uh, America. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a bit weird. Uh, you know, I think it, not since the spring of last year has there been um, a full uh, lockdown quite like there was before. So you know, in the beginning, there was like three months where we weren't going into to work and and things like that at least for for scientists um which is what i do for my day job and um in the recent lockdown they made allowances for certain um you know people who couldn't work from home so like scientists can't work from home obviously they don't have a lab at their house um so you know the only way to to really work was to go into the lab so i actually get to go into work um, on shift schedules so it's a bit weird and there's a lot of weird regulations at work and we wear masks the entire time and it's a whole it's a whole thing um so for me it's a bit more normal my my partner unfortunately is, is stuck at home uh working but uh, working from home and, and has been for basically a year plus uh now and it's it's a bit um uh maddening you know it's it's tough to be stuck and we, we live in a studio flat so it's very um you know uh dull it's not like, <laughs> there's not like multiple rooms or like places to go or or ways to sort of uh, uh cordon off the desk area where I'm sitting where the bed is like two feet away from me right now, you know, that's, <laughs> so um, you get a little bit of cabin fever in that sense. On the other hand, of the things that I could be dealing with in the pandemic, these are all non-issues really. And I think that we are, are doing quite well for that. So, um, you know, thankfully, and uh, we we also have the benefit of, uh, so I live at, um, at the university that I'm, I'm attending and uh, we get tested regular or I get tested um, every week um, and so I have that access and of course we have the wonderful uh, NHS so we also have free medicine so that's nice <laughs> rub it in don't you <laughs> <laughs> well I'll say this you both got vaccinated I've been vaccinated yet I won't get vaccinated for some time um, but by the time we get vaccinated it'll basically be the last few people in the country will be vaccinated and so uh, you know yeah <laughs> Sure, it's a smaller country it's a little you know weird plague island so you know it's uh <laughs> like 28 days later i imagine no no but, uh, no yeah that's good glad to see you know you and your partner are safe and you know in uh you know uh just a country that's uh you know taking it seriously and doing as best they can in these times yeah i mean it is true that relative to america uh we done quite well here um it, you know the bar not set terribly high uh <laughs> by the previous administration and to some extent this administration um but on the other hand uh relative to a lot of europe and, and other places um you know the uk is often the one that people point at and suggest uh doesn't you know know what they're doing and uh, you know they act too slowly and so on um i think uh i think 
yeah, it really it's it runs the gamut, right? And then you have random places in, in across Europe that have huge uh, huge spikes and problems and things like that. So I think it's all it's all quite variable in that sense. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, but by and large, I think we're doing all right. And there's always that fallback of having that healthcare system, which I think is really important because I think what people don't think about is it's not just that the healthcare is free. I mean, it's you know pay for it through taxes, um, and I, I get to benefit from it too as a resident. But also that it is um, a way of coordinating rollout. So the whole country, so everyone's on a list of like who's going to get vaccine when, uh, and it's not uh, sort of uh, segregated off from hospital to hospital or whoever your doctor is. It's just you will get a call, they will set you up for an appointment, you will go and get your, and that can be coordinated from a sort of centralized system or nationalized system where it's a bit more difficult to do if you've um, you've uh, got different states with different rules and different plans and some people have insurance and some people don't and you know I don't I to be honest if I was in the states I have no idea how I'd even start to go about getting yeah I I, uh, I just uh, put together this tutorial video actually um, for registration in LA County and it's uh, you know because a lot of people were having trouble and it's a little bit convoluted because it's it's run by like four different entities so it's like LA County the fire department of LA uh, clinics and then like supermarkets so they're all like different like if you were trying to buy like tickets on StubHub or like different like uh, ticket buyers is kind of like what it came down to and mm -hmm. yeah it's just uh it would be nice like yeah because it's like you know you have elderly people that don't know how to use the computer or could have not could not have computer access or you know people that don't have computer access and it's just yeah it's just it could be a lot better and like yeah, yeah. I mean we, they still run into those problems here. So the first group to be immunized were, were largely uh, older people, but they tried to do things like call them um, where possible, because obviously it's, you, know, you can send an email, but it, it's not very likely to get through. But yeah, I mean, basically here, we all have uh, national insurance numbers, which are a bit kind of like social security numbers in a way. Um, and so they can just go through that list and just contact people through that method. And I think that's very helpful to the um, uh, to the rollout, uh, and it, and it's why I think they're actually ahead of schedule here in terms of vaccinations. So while I haven't been vaccinated and I'm not a priority, and I also get tested all the time for the people who need it, I think they're getting it quite quickly, which is which is good. Which is good. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah, you know, it's just like uh, such unprecedented like thing, you know. Yeah, definitely. It's um, and it's very weird because um, well, I, we'll talk about that later, I guess, but uh, but just. The realities of the pandemic, especially, you know, it's how it intersects with our, our social systems. So things like how we've set up even our government or how we set up um, how 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 um, systems have 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 prevented certain groups from from making money and therefore they live in particular areas and thus you know don't have access to the vaccine right like there it's it's connected on multiple levels to historical precedent um and it's not it doesn't just start with the with the pandemic you have to go back some way to sort of connect it or like why don't we have a universal healthcare system in in the states um and then you know that has day-to-day -day consequences for people who need healthcare, but has a lot of consequences in the context of a pandemic. Um, but these are issues that like predated the pandemic and then become exacerbated in the context of uh, the pandemic. So yeah, it's a, it's a weird time. Yeah, you know, I was, uh, cause we were, um, we uh, put in our uh, document, the article that you uh, recently published um, with uh, Noah Komsky and, uh, you know, kind of talking to, it was about uh, COVID-19 and climate change, but it, you know, kind of, in the article you're going you you uh, were both going over a lot of topics where 
a lot of these uh, COVID problems come from like systematic issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. So yeah, that was an interview. Um, so the interview with uh, with Chomsky was done at um, Science for the People magazine, where I'm also an editor. And uh, that magazine's goal is to sort of uh, discuss. Uh, it's usually it's often written, though not always, uh, by scientists, but with a goal of of targeting and. Um, a broader audience and uh our, our interest is in talking about the real science not you know pseudoscience and you know the rest of it so acknowledging what the actual data says but then also discussing what um how that data again like i said intersects with how society operates so you know who gets to collect the data uh how do we collect the data who gets to interpret the data who funds the data uh, who gets the funding for the collection of the data, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, if I go and do an experiment, but then that data ends up getting used by um, uh, a company or a, the military or maybe a really great organization that does good, good work or whatever, um, to acknowledge that that's a reality and that we should be involved in that process and not just say like, when we do science, it exists in a vacuum. And so talking to, to Professor, Ch- uh, Professor Chomsky, that was, that was sort of the crux of a lot of what we were talking about, which is, that um, a lot of these issues like climate change and so on are connected and the climate science that's being done um, has uh, the data is being generated but then it gets interpreted in a certain way so for example you know climate science has been very clear about how um, the sort of the the uh, the cascade effect of the um, uh, fossil fuel industry and and greenhouse gas emissions uh, and the, the the effect that that has on um, how the the um, uh, the planet's changing uh, from melting ice to acidification of the oceans, et cetera, et cetera, right? And that the data was was produced by climate scientists, but then you still have to do something with the data. You have to take action. You have to, you know, um, and so uh, what ended up happening instead was like sort of a PR campaign to try and pretend like climate change wasn't real. And, um, and this was contra to, and then, you know, so you have climate scientists saying one thing, you have fossil fuel industries doing uh, the research to show the climate change is real and then suppressing the results from their own research. And that's another example of, you know, the data doesn't just exist in a vacuum. It's being either suppressed or it's being, um, and, and we see this with COVID-19, right? You see this all, all the time with, um, uh, there was that that woman in Florida, right? Who was posting the the correct numbers for COVID but was told to post different numbers. And um, she ended up getting arrested for refusing to to follow the governor's order or something like that. I don't remember the, the, the exact details, but that's exactly what we're talking about that, you know, you can produce all the data you want, but if it ends up getting taken by, you know, nefarious interests, then um, there, then it can be used to, to, to hurt people. And so, so that was a lot of that discussion. It was, it was really uh, engaging. I hope people, um, or I found him very engaging. I hope people find the interview uh, interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, reading it. And, you know, he's such an interesting fellow. And, you know, yeah, just uh, hearing him talk, or excuse me, uh, reading him talk and everything. Because I think on, uh, when you post that article on your uh, Facebook, I was like, Oh, thank you, like, for doing this uh, interview because it was a breath breath of fresh air after that uh, bad faith podcast. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah, and and uh, you know we we steered to topics I felt would be you know we would be on the same page and and it was really I think helpful to um, and we also tried to capture his uh, his 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 manner so I I think hopefully that came across in the in the transcript mm-hmm. um, but yeah and 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 again he's very interested in the way these these systems have have. Um, 
have existed and continue to exist. So, you know, he connects a lot of what's going on now. And he's, I think he's absolutely right. And I think the public health research bears this out that the, the Reagan and Thatcher era and the, 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 the um, dawn of neoliberalism, this laissez-faire sort of economic um, system is um, that was perpetuated across the spectrum, you know, Bill Clinton, uh, George Bush, et cetera. Um, these and very deregulatory, et cetera. You know, so that's you know that's how you have what's going on in Texas right now, right? That is a, entirely a failure of a completely deregulated energy grid, right? Um, it's a perfect example of that. But this is all uh, a long consequence of what for 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 Chomsky started in in at least in its current incarnation in the in the eighties with Milton Friedman with Reagan, et cetera. And so you get massive deregulation. You get total defunding of public sector. Um, uh, uh, support services, and so you have people now who you know are are um, suffering from lack of access to social programs, say welfare or whatever the case may be, that are historically were cut ages ago, but now in this particular environment, it's so bad that it becomes even more exacerbated. So, and you have this. You have, I mean, it happened in the in the UK as well, as I say, under Thatcher, and there's a lot of. Um, fallout effects from the sort of austerity measures that were put in place to reduce um, uh, social safety nets, even though we still have things here like the NHS, which, as I say, is, is, is a great system. But then there were consequences to austerity that have been actually directly linked to health outcomes, including in the pandemic. And um, there's actually I have an upcoming article on um, on this exact subject, an interview with um, Sir Michael Marmot, who is a professor of public health at UCL, and his his whole subject area is discussing social determinants of health, so how your socioeconomic status affects your health. And we talked about COVID-19, and what his data shows is that not only is this a real phenomenon, the socioeconomic effect on your, on your health, but in COVID-19, sort of the poles of the most extreme effects. So if you're very wealthy, you do better. And if you're very poor, you do very, you might do much worse. And this also affects across race and gender. There's there's um, added, additive effects, but those poles are skewed even more in the context of uh, COVID-19. Like it took what was already bad and made it way, 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 way worse uh, for people who are living at the very ends of things or, or much better. Um, and so that it's uh, it's sort of a, a unfor an unfortunate, but, but useful magnifying glass on the issues that we were facing in the first place. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, you, oh, sorry. I, yeah, it's just like, would you say it's kind of like a caste system in a way? Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's essentially how it lines up. It's actually kind of shocking. I mean, if you if you if anybody is interested, look up Michael Marmot, uh, look up the um, the Whitehall studies. And just look at some of the graphs. I mean, they're actually kind of shocking where you just see direct correlation between people's salaries and their income and their health outcomes. Yeah. Um, or, you, or you look at, for example, that, um, uh, you know, there's a general view that like uh, everyone's sort of doing better year on year and that even if you're poor, like it's better now than it was 10 years ago. But depending on, it really depends on your, your condition. It's not just, it's, you know, for men, maybe that might be true, but for women, it might not be true. It might even be worse than it was, you know, 10 years ago for poor women, specifically mm -hmm. this sort of subsection. Um, so yeah, and it, it's, um, the way, I mean, the, the, the truth of it is, is that it's sort of premised on this broad base, um, this sort of pyramid-like structure that we've built society on, right? And the way that these, 
um, I mean, the, the very nature of a pyramid structure is that you need a lot of a lot on the bottom to support the top. Um, but then there needs to be a lot on the bottom and that just has to perpetuate itself. Otherwise, you, you no longer have a hierarchy. Right. And um, uh, I mean, that would be, in my view, a much better society, but that is the way society currently runs. And um, that hierarchy, you can look at any number of ways, right? There's, um, there's uh, your, your wealth, there's race, there's gender, there's sexuality, there's religion, etc. And these, these things all are maintained in, in, this, in this sort of structure. And um, if the top of that pyramid is, has access to things that the bottom of the pyramid doesn't, um, then uh, if you just slice it horizontally, you're going to get way more people who, let's say, don't have access to, to healthcare than people who do, because to have access, you have to be part of a much smaller group of people. Um, so yeah. in a way, yeah, I would say it's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a, a, a caste, I mean, it's a class system. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, like trickle down economics from all the Reaganism does not work. Like, you know, that, 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 uh, that uh like that trickle is not going to come it's going to like stay at the top and you know you see it in like other parts of our society and everything and it's just yeah it's just sad there's a great quote from leslie feinberg who was a great uh, activist uh, who said uh who said uh, for those of us for those of us who have been trickled on you know we're we're, we're kind of sick of it um for the for those <laughs> in, in an argument to people who argue for trickle down economics um with this idea that um you know uh it's a it's a narrative, right? And it's and it's exactly. I mean, you know, Art Laffer came up with this idea, of the Laffer curve, which is that if you um, if you cut taxes uh, on on wealthy people because they're wealth creators, mm-hmm. whatever that means, <laughs> then you will make the money back. That the economy will be able to bounce back from this. It's never been true. It's it's absolute nonsense. It's a, it was something he drew on a napkin, and people thought he was a genius, but it's, it's just nonsense. And I don't know if they actually thought he was a genius or they just thought, well. If this were true, it would be really good for me. So I'm just going to perpetuate it. I don't know, but for whatever whatever the sort of origins of that were, uh, were um, it was tried a thousand times. It's, it was the origin of the Bush tax cuts, the Trump tax cuts, Reagan's worldview. I mean, it's just on and on and on. Uh, if you if you look at uh, Sam Brownback when he was a, a governor, he tried it in his state, and it was an absolute. Just every single time they they do not make the money back. Everyone suffers for it. The only people who do who benefit are, are wealthy people. Yeah. Um, but the idea that that helps anyone else is just, it's, oh, it can't have been proven more wrong. And yet it will be raised again, mark my words, as a brilliant idea, uh, you know, in about five years and everyone's going to have amnesia, collective amnesia about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, our old econ teacher from like high school used to have a saying where it's like, you know, uh, trickle down economics is not trickling down. It's like pissing on you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, I think that was the uh, the gist of Leslie Feinberg's <laughs> yeah. uh, vision of it. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's just not it's not based in reality, and I don't know why anybody would think it would be. You know, conversely, imagine if you took from the bottom of that pyramid and you gave all of the people on the bottom a uh, uh, you for, forgave their debt or you provided them some sort of stimulus check. What a concept! Mm-hmm. Um, surely that would have a greater stimulating effect on the economy. I can see how that would work. I mean, look, it's not like the hypothesis was totally wild. I mean, sure, maybe it would work, but you've tried it. It doesn't work, but maybe we should try something else then. And when they do do it, they see quite impressive effects. I mean, um, uh, uh, the reality is that from all the, the research I've seen, and I'm not a sociologist, but when people get money, money straight up, not tax credits, not you know some sort of um, 
weird uh, um, uh, Rube Goldberg machine that eventually gives you some sort of benefit on the back end, but actually gives you money, uh, the effects are always better for the people, for the economy, etc. And uh, I don't, I don't know what the reticence is with doing that, especially if you are in, le if you're, if you're goals to support the top of the pyramid, giving more people the bottom of the pyramid something seems like it would be helpful because then they can give you more money, which is what they do, which is how they have money in the first place. So, you know, if you want, you know, Jeff Bezos to be even richer, wouldn't you want more people on the bottom to have money? I, I don't know. It seems like self-defeating, but yeah, I'm not an economist, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's just like a bunch of like Hunger Games, sort of like, you know, like Very. that that weirdo, like governor, or not, excuse me, Texas mayor that was like survival of the fittest is like oh yeah yeah oh yeah like fuck that that was full mask off wasn't it yeah exactly um, oh. but 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 it's exactly that and I think it's you know just get on the subject of pandemics and 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 later maybe we'll talk a little bit about these uh, movies but one of the things that happens in these movies um, as uh, in pandemic films is there's a breakdown of society. And then everyone is become it becomes survival of the fittest. Uh, you know, there's always that guy who's you know barricaded himself up in his little bunker, and he's got a gun and a bunch of resources, and he shoots anyone who comes onto his property. I mean, it's just it happens all the time, right? But in reality, in reality, and that is the society we're promoting, and it's a society that um, certain aspects of the uh, of society would like to promote is that sort of uh, frontier. Uh, um, uh, view of uh, uh, how humanity should operate, sort of a Mad Max, I call it a Mad Max style hellscape, right? Um, but in reality, when you look at pandemics, you look at what's happening in Texas right now, it's mutual aid groups that have sprung up, sprung up all over the state. Um, and I think the inclination towards cooperation is much greater than their inclination towards, uh, or certainly we, at the very least, even if it's 50-50, we have the capacity to be cooperative. And there were people from all over the country sending money to, to mutual aid groups to help support people in Texas, people they don't know and they'll never meet, or they may never meet. Um, people from all over the world were sending, I mean, I, I, sent, uh, I sent some from, from the UK. And, um, you know, I don't know anybody in Texas. I literally know contacts in Texas as far as I'm aware. Um, but I think we have the capacity to do that. And I, you know, it doesn't make for a great movie, I guess, but, you know, um, it's not nearly as exciting as a standoff at a chain link fence. But in reality, I think people do have the the capacity to do that and to band together in times of crisis. Happened after Katrina, um, it happened during the, the, the 2008 crash. Um, it's a question of, I think, ultimately what we promote in society. And right now we promote the pyramid structure, which is uh, promotes a lot of competition and, uh, and, and people down here fighting as if up here there's not a uh, sort of a concentration of power. Um, but if there was a, a lot more collective uh, uh, work and, and collaboration and cooperation, I think we would be doing much better, but we have to actually foster that. And, uh, and I, again, I think it's despite a society that does not encourage it, we still see it happen, which, you know, you can just imagine if we actually encourage this behavior, how much uh, better off we'd probably be at this moment. Yeah, I mean, just like reading the news, because uh, my cousin, he lives in Texas, and I, uh, you know, was uh, sharing a lot of the mutual aids, and like, I donated uh, some money, and yeah, just seeing like, uh, this collective, like, like, group effort, like, um, I'm not sure, yeah, I, I believe you're a Simpsons fan, Soren, where it's yes. like, yeah, sure. Um, I don't know. I just like to do a lot of Simpsons. Where was it? Like uh, Bart gets trapped in the well and just like Homer just starts digging and everyone just starts digging. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, it was just, you know, beautiful to see, you know, in times of crisis. So. Exactly. And, it, and it's a real thing. And, and there's a real phenomenon of mutual. And, and it's funny. Um, the, the data. Um, 
so at the commoner which is another uh, website i'm an editor at, an editor at which is a much more politically focused um as opposed to science or, or film uh focused um uh, uh website we put it together an article which was a rebuttal to an article that was in uh, the nation and it was about mutual aid and it was about how so the article in the nation basically argued that mutual aid should be used in service of the states so that we should use mutual aid to um as a, like a temporary sort of fix but then replace it with social programs um and we argued the historical nature of mutual aid is just not that's not what mutual aid is about um that uh that it's fine those programs are fine if the government wants to put in a social program or whatever, but mutual aid has its own sort of value. But one of the uh, sort of zingers that the author tried <laughs> to get in at the end is that uh, charity actually goes down in times of crisis, I, I believe was the, the quote. And um, that actually was an argument in support of mutual aid because mutual aid isn't charity, right? Uh, mutual aid uh, definitely springs up in, 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 I mean, over the course of the pandemic, we've seen them all mm -hmm. over the country. Um, maybe charity goes down. But, uh, you know, uh, nobody who supports mutual aid is advocating it, or at least, you know, mutual aid activists are not advocating a charity-based system. Um, so it's a very weird metric to say, well, you know, there's no way mutual aid could, could actually serve people's needs because charity went down. I mean, it's like, you know, they're just not the same thing. And in fact, charity is the model that uh, is supported much more by the, uh, you know, sort of the capitalist class because they would rather a philanthropy and charity-based model than anything that even remotely looks like mutual aid. Mutual aid depowers people who are in power. And uh, that is, in my view, a good thing. And to them, obviously, a very bad thing. Yeah. No, yeah, we are, yeah, we completely agree. Yeah, and um, I was just going to say, yeah, just uh, to anyone out there, just please donate to Texas and uh, we could include that in the bio as well. Sure. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of good ones and the main uh, the main cities around Texas uh, all have uh, mutual aid groups um, uh, ready to uh, to receive because they are uh, working hard to provide just basic things, blankets, shelter, food, etc. to their uh, to their folks. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. Say that like, I think, first of all, I, I, I agree with I'm glad we're having this discussion on this podcast just in general, but uh, I, I think a big part of like that pyramid structure, that class system, it's, ca it's capitalism. It's, it's, it's capitalism just at its finest, unfortunately, mm -hmm. which for everyone else, um, <laughs> like a, a big distrust of like government in general and like communities of color. Like I see it a lot in my family. Like there's, there is a almost hesitation to even like trust a vaccine mm -hmm. almost no thankfully my family is like sane people so conversations have gotten a lot better about that mm -hmm. but like what would you say if someone was concerned about the effects of a vaccine beyond like Eugene and I were talking yeah a little soreness I like I think the second dose gives you like a quick fever for a day or something like that I, I Gene and I have nursing friends that have also gone through that and they're still kicking still still doing yeah. good god bless them you know but um, um well so so i'll just uh well the first thing i'll say is you can't spell soreness without soren so there you go um <laughs> but <laughs> i was kind of hoping you'd make that joke in the intro um but it only just occurred to me anyway um yeah so uh so just as a preface to this so i i work as a i am not a vaccinologist i'm not an immunologist and i'm not a public health expert so for please read the CDC website. It's actually, they have really good resources they put together for answering basic questions that, uh, so if you have any concerns, you can you can check those out and they're written by scientists and public health professionals. Um, with that said, um, 
I think it's really interesting. So Science for the People, this magazine I, I work um, uh, at uh, and work as an editor is really interested in this exact question um, and on a broad sense. So for example, um, what is, uh, how, we, we're interested in things like the, the, the history of racism in, in medicine, for example, or uh, the history of um, uh, uh, treatment of, of women in, in, um, in, in, in medicine or in science um, or things like, right? So these are really important questions that affect, again, the data, again, who got to do the research, who got to produce it and who, how it was interpreted, how it was applied, who got involved in clinical trials, uh, whose needs were not addressed when clinical trials were being carried out, uh, who got to do the experiment, who got to ignore the ethics uh, in, and who was uh, the, the, the victims of that. So um, these are things that are really important that we discuss a lot and they come up in moments exactly like this, right? The consequences of these decisions. So um, I'm gonna answer this in two different ways. So I'll, first I'll start with this side, which I think is really important, which is I think that doctors um, and scientists have, if, if the, the rate of um, compliance for getting a vaccine is very, very low in communities of color, that speaks to one, a history that is very, uh, uh, it's not good. <laughs> it's it's very bad, um, and it also speaks to a lack of trust building from from scientists and doctors. And so, you know, you have things like the Tuskegee experiment, which is probably one of the most famous examples, right? Where you um, where you had uh, uh, basically the the end result was that black men with with syphilis were allowed to die uh, for the sake of science. Um, and uh, it was horrific. It was a horrific chapter in American history. And this is just one of, of many kinds of experiments like this. It, it happened in Puerto Rico. It happened, uh, you know, all over the place. And um, and uh, these these kinds of experiments where where people were seen as expendable, um, often for for racial reasons or um, by gender or both or, you know, other other um, other delineators. Um, and so there's a reason to distrust. There's a reason to feel that distrust, and it is incumbent upon scientists and um, and doctors to to have the cultural competence to address this and not wave it off, because I think the the um, the uh, habit is to say, well, the data is the data. Why don't you just accept it? The numbers say that it's good, so do it, or that's superstitious, or you're too ignorant to understand what the science is. These are not helpful things to say. They're not, I don't believe any of them. Um, there is a reason to feel these things. Having said that, uh, vaccines are still good. You know? And I think it's really, I think it's really important to be honest. I mean, and it's the same with climate change, the same with anything. If you come in and just say, this is now the new thing we need to do. And you don't acknowledge how we got here. Like why is the planet on fire? Like if you don't acknowledge the origin story of that uh, supervillain, then it's not going to have any meaning, right? They just show up at the end and it's, you know, a Marvel movie. No, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's, uh, it's some sort of, um, uh, it's, it's not convincing, right? And it doesn't build any trust or investment in the process. Um, so I think that's really important because I think that people are suspicious and I think they have reason to be, but they, they, they don't have reason to be in the sense that the data supports them, but that doctors need to really build that trust. So, um, and I can talk about the data um, in a moment because I think that's important that, that these vaccines are, especially the two that are, are floating around in, in the States for the moment. Um, so Moderna and, and Pfizer are very, very good vaccines. 
um, and very worth all the vaccines from what I can tell are worth getting if you can get them like if there's a vaccine unavailable to you you should get it um, for for COVID-19 uh, or for for SARS-CoV-2 the, the virus um, but these two in particular are very very good I mean they're they're exceptionally good uh, vaccines uh, much better than like the flu vaccine for example just much much more efficacious um, so that's the first side I'll, I'll, I'll speak to. And on the second side I'll speak to is more not targeted necessarily people of color, although certainly if you if people of color have this view, then it speaks to them as well, but it's towards the people who are distrustful of authority. And I think this is really important. Um, and I'm maybe gonna tip my hand a little bit here and say that I identify as an anarchist and I don't, I don't have a lot of love for the government. But I think I wrote an article actually for the commoner about um, COVID-19 pre-vaccine, et cetera. This was just about, um, about how we find, where we find ourselves in, in the course of the pandemic um, and how people are responding to it. So at that time, well, even now, obviously, but at that time, a big thing in the news were the anti-maskers, right? People refused to wear masks. And why didn't they want to wear masks? Um, did they deny that it was, uh, uh, that they worked? Some did. Some did. It's not a tenable position. Masks are extremely effective. Um, but a lot of what a lot of them said is I'm not going to do what people tell me to do because therefore I, I am a sheep or I am following what the government says. And if the government tells me to do something, I'm going to do the opposite. First of all, just doing the opposite of what someone tells you is also conformist. But even if it weren't, <laughs> um, take it from somebody who is actually an anarchist and doesn't like the government. That's not what resisting the state is about if you want to resist the state that's fine but what we're talking that pyramid structure i referred to before is the same problem capitalism is one example of a pyramid structure but so is racism so is sexism so is cap uh, so is a, so is the state right it's a system where a few people have a lot of power and a lot of people don't um uh, or they have some semblance of power or something that looks like power but ultimately doesn't really map on we talked about some in the chomsky interview that you know uh, 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 the the correlation between what most people want and uh, what the government actually does uh, is almost non-existent unless you're in the top 10% of society. I think it's the top 10%. Um, and this is this has been repeated. This study has been done several times um, uh, in various analyses on the same data, but that's the end result of it. So that that's another structure that's that's a problem. So it's, it's fair to say like why would I do what this what the state tells me? But that's not what. Uh, expertise is expertise is different than authority, and um, there are some there are some very good anarchists have written some useful perspectives on this. But basically, um, the idea that information and data uh, are the domain of just the powerful is is a bad thing. You don't want the government to be the only ones with with uh, access to a to a vaccine, right? You you want the whole country to get it, right? You don't want just want senators, you know, there was that whole thing where they were doing this pageantry where they were all getting vaccinated. And I, I think it has some benefit because it tells people this is real and good and mm -hmm. we're getting it and you should get it too. So in that sense, it's good. On the other hand, it's like, why are you getting it? We need it. Um, yeah. You have or, government funded healthcare. <laughs> yeah. Or, or I was going to say, it was like someone like Rand Paul where he gets in, he was like actively like screwing, you know, screwing people over and like, you know, exactly. acting in bad faith. Well, exactly. And I think that there's there's some level of that, certainly for people who are power brokers. I think that's a real thing. But then you just get people who are on the street who are just saying that. So so there's a twofold thing. One is that, again, expertise is not authority. I know we sort of conflate the two because it, it, authority can colloquially mean somebody who knows what they're talking about because they are a scientist or a doctor or whatever, um, or a public health expert or, 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 or whatever the case is. Um, 
so that can be you can be an authority figure in that sense but you don't necessarily have authority over somebody you just have expertise in an area and it's reasonable to to listen to somebody who knows what they're talking about mm -hmm. um it is not equivalent for somebody who has no science background whatsoever to make claims about a vaccine and somebody who is a vaccinologist to to um to make claims about, about vaccine they're just not the same thing yeah. um so that's the first part and the second part um is that uh, the other thing, if you want to just focus on liberty, personal liberty, and this this whole thing, this whole weird, um, in my view, quite weird libertarian um, view <laughs> that uh, exists in America. It's, it's not uniquely American, but it is a very strong presence in America. Um, this sort of Austrian school view that you know, the government should leave me alone in all situations at all times, even if it means I die. Um, well, uh, that's fine, but have you should consider that you do not have the liberty maybe you know you may say it's my liberty not to wear a mask but of course you don't wear a mask to protect yourself although it does offer some protection you offer you wear a mask to make sure that other people don't die and it's much the same for vaccines right you don't get a vaccine people who say i should have the personal choice to not get a vaccine well i get what you're saying and I, it would make sense on some level if it's cancer i i actually understand that a bit more because you're not going to pass cancer on to someone else but a vaccine prevents you from getting other people sick by not wearing a mask, by not uh, getting a vaccine, by not social distancing, by not washing your hands or whatever it is that you're going to do, by traveling when you shouldn't be traveling, you are impinging on other people's liberty. You are saying, I don't care that I'm going to make you ill and potentially have you and, and, and potentially kill you because I decided my liberty was more important than your life. And Surely nobody who supports that kind of thinking uh, uh, would support that in reverse, where they were the ones receiving the, the illness. Surely they think they have the right to not get ill, mm -hmm. right? Um, but they just don't see it as, as, as being connected to other people. And again, this comes down back to this idea of cooperation, this idea of atomization, that I exist as an island and I don't interact with anyone else in society. Of course you do. Everything you do, you're touching handles, you're, you're, you're going on the bus, you're you know, going to the supermarket, whatever it is you're doing, you are interacting with other people. And it's really important that you aren't putting all of them in danger for the sake of your liberty. What about their liberty? You're now hurting their, you know, um, it, it's like saying I have the liberty to just spray a gun everywhere all the time, not have a gun, but spray a gun just constantly everywhere all the time, because otherwise it's an impingement on my, my liberty. Well, what about all the people get hit by your bullets? That's, mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense. You've, 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 uh, you've basically said my liberty, everyone else's liberty is subservient to my liberty. And if you believe that, then you don't actually interested in liberty at all. So I think those are really important points. So I think, you know, we should trust expertise. It's not necessarily authority. I think we should, um, we should be cognizant of other people's health and well-being and understand that our choices affect other people. Um, and I think these are really important to take in. And I think, again, I think it's, it's reasonable to address people who have, feel like their community has been wronged by the medical establishment, by pharmaceutical companies who continue to be terrible. I'm not defending them. Um, but instead to say, well, what does the science say? What do the experts, what does the, uh, the, the experts say? And what do the experts, even at the companies? And I think this is something, you know, one of the questions I know that we wanted to discuss was what are ideas that we want to, that I, I think are important to disabuse people of, to, to, um, uh, uh, misconceptions that should be addressed. And one of them is that, and it really, it's something that frustrates me and that I've had to really, I've had to wrestle with um, to try and explain to people, which is that any data that comes out, because a company, because company A is bad, which is something I can accept, fine, company A is bad. Therefore, all science there is made up and fake. Well, that's not true, 
right? Um, their business practice might be the fact that they, let's say they charge you, you know, $500,000 for your vaccine dose. That's not the case, but let's say they did, right? That's a decision the company made, but it doesn't mean the vaccine isn't good. Actually, in fact, quite the opposite. I mean, if nobody would pay for it, probably if it was 500,000, <laughs> it didn't work. Um, but, but uh, you know, in a, theoretically, um, but, uh, but yeah, so that the idea, and so, you know, you get in, this, you get this in agriculture, right? That Monsanto is a bad company, therefore all their crops are, are going to kill you. No, no, they're probably not going to kill you. The, the company might starve your country out by spraying, by putting a bunch of copyrighted uh, seeds uh, uh, all over uh, your, your, um, your agricultural uh, land and then uh, forcing you to sort of pay money to, to Monsanto. That's evil. That's bad. But the seeds aren't going to kill you. They're just copyrighted and that's terrible. And we should, we should fight against that. That's reasonable. We should say, you know, there was a big campaign before the, the vaccines ever came out that it, there should be free vaccines for everybody around the world. It should be completely free. That didn't happen uh, in many places, um, and you know, largely companies got a hold of them, and they are privately owned, and uh, they are making a lot of money off the government paying them for the vaccines. That's unfortunate. That's bad. We can talk about that, but the vaccines are still good. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's a really important delineation to make that 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 the scientists at the company are not all sitting there doctoring data all day. These are people who got PhDs or, or undergraduate degrees or graduate degrees at universities and mm -hmm. did their time and studied and learned and went and just applied that same exact expertise in the context of industry. Um, they, but they're no different than somebody at a university um, or, or any other scientist for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was just going to say, just listen to the experts. Like, I'm not sure if you heard um, or you read, I don't know. I know he's a Republican, but uh, Schwarz Arnold Schwarzenegger had like a good, like, I guess on his Facebook, he got the vaccine and, and the comments had all these crazy people, but he, you know, had a very like nuanced take where it's like, Hey, like, uh, if you want to listen to uh, how to get like, uh, ripped arms, like I, I'm like one of the best bodybuilders. Uh, however, I'm not a, like a scientist. So it's, it's okay to admit you don't know, or it's not weak to, to admit that you're, um, you know, you're not an expert on something. And like, however many YouTube videos, you, uh, you watch, you won't have a, a doctorate or degree or any applied science uh, expertise in vaccines after going down a rabbit hole. And also just kind of, uh, he was saying that, um, you know, if your circle of like people you trust gets smaller and smaller that you can listen to, you know, you're, you're going down a rabbit hole of misinformation. So, so don't do that. And it's a hundred, he's a hundred percent right about that. Um, it's, it's a real, real issue. And, you know, and it's interesting, the anti-vax, it's something I've been, I've been discussing with people for quite a long time, which is the, you know, on vaccines in general, well before um, uh, COVID-19. I'm very sympathetic to, not to the arguments, let's be clear. The anti-vax arguments are terrible. They're just not based in reality. Mm -hmm. But I am sympathetic to the emotion behind them for the people who feel very strongly about it. And it's often, you know, let's say it's a mom or whatever who's concerned about her kids. Okay, fine. I don't consider her uh, my enemy. Uh, I would like to disabuse her of this, this idea because it's bad. And it's bad because it puts my kids in danger, if I had kids. Um, it puts, you know, her kids in danger. It puts other kids in danger. It puts especially kids who can't get vaccinated in danger. Right, this is the idea of herd immunity, which is a, quite an important concept. Mm -hmm. um, so, so in that sense, I think it's harmful. Which is, it's not uh, not harmful. But the culprit behind what she thinks, what this hypothetical person thinks, is are people like Del Bigtree and um, uh, 
uh, and and these other sort of grifters who have no background in the subject whatsoever but who have slick production setups and are able to produce movies you have that terrible movie pandemic that oh. absolute nonsense just riddled top to bottom with just provable f like lies just lie after lie you could just go through it I mean, it's actually made that's just that one clip that sort of got out before it was sort of shut down from a bunch of websites, I think, probably quite rightly, because it was just absolute nonsense. Um, uh, but but there's it's slick and it looks good and it looks like a real documentary with real experts. Um, but the reality of the situation was just not it wasn't grounded in anything. But the people who are perpetuating these things frequently know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to sell books. They're trying to promote their Vita brands that they want people to take instead of uh, vaccines or whatever the case is. And they're, you know, it's, it always amazes me when people are willing to prop up somebody like Adele Bigtree or that kind of figure, or um, even Andrew Wakefield is a completely discredited uh, quack um, who, who sort of perpetuated this autism and, and uh, vaccine myth. Um, this, uh, people are willing to trust these figures who are making money off of the misinformation, but then we'll reject pharmaceutical companies for making money off of medicine, right? Mm -hmm. I appreciate that the profit motive is not a good way to run a healthcare system. I think it's terrible, but <laughs> I'd rather get the medicine than a book that says medicine is fake. I have no real expertise, but you should trust me because, you know, whatever, <laughs> I'm appealing to your concern about your children, which is reasonable, but um, in, in terms of the emotional reaction, but you, you, you know, that why you would accept one but reject the other seems very strange to me. Um, and the difference is, and you might say, well, what about the reverse? Why would you accept a pharmaceutical, com pharmaceutical company but not accept somebody who's written one of these anti-vaccination books or websites or whatever? Well, because the person who, you know, they may both be crooks, but one of them has scientific expertise. So <laughs> I'm going to go with that. They know what they're talking about. They have data and they can show you the data. Um, they can show you the peer-reviewed research and uh, they can demonstrate that it works. Uh, and uh, and and also, let us not forget that these you know vaccines are one of the most um, incredible inventions in the history of humanity. I mean, the reason that polio is hardly a thought anymore for a lot of the world, not everywhere, but but, but a large part of the world, is because of vaccinations. Uh, you know, the evidence is in front of us. You know, do, do, was polio invented, uh, made up? Do people think it didn't exist? Um, you know, these are these are real things we're able to actually vaccinate against and it's essentially eliminate from society. I mean, e even MMR, right? Everyone gets it now and it's, it's good. I think people should, should get the MMR vaccine, but it's very uncommon, although it does happen. Uh, in fact, it happened to my partner um, that you, that you get any of the diseases that uh, that the MMR vaccine uh, vaccinates against. And so I think that's um, I think people can just look. I mean, it's such a black and white fact. Just look. I mean. You, no one's in an iron lung. No one's, you know, these things are not happening anymore. Why do you think that is? It's not magic. It's not because something changed in the water, you know. Um, it was because mm -hmm. of vaccines. And um, going off of that topic, uh, Soren, because one of the uh, questions we had outlined was um, just kind of the, you're talking about the vaccine and how it was, uh, you know, just the, the logic of this research. research. And, you know, some people were, I guess, maybe, excuse me, skeptical, like the development of it was fast, fact, fact checked, or excuse me, uh, fast tracked, and just kind of the the fact check of that that this research um, was you know based on other SARS studies, things like that. They had like almost like a like a, is this is this the right term like a almost like a gamer's strategy book with them, like kind of developing it. Is that accurate? <laughs> to say? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess one way to look at it for sure. Um, sure, yeah. So it's a it's a good question, and so so as I said before, I'm not I'm not uh, um, somebody who who develops vaccines or works in that area, um, and I'm, this is mostly for just people watching this. So I wouldn't call myself a layperson because I am a molecular biologist and I do understand the terms and the ideas uh, in that sense. But I am a layperson in the sense that you know I don't follow vaccine. Um, uh, development, uh, you know, in the literature, the way that somebody who is in this area might, because it's just not my field, right? I don't follow climate science papers day to day either, unless it's like a major sort of thing that everyone's really interested in. Um, I still trust climate science research, though, because my colleagues there probably trust me on DNA repair, which is what I focus on, right? You know, it, this is a it's a, it's a uh, reciprocal relationship. Um, and I trust that their peers are holding their account them accountable. So other climate scientists holding climate scientists accountable and you know, um, immunologists are holding other immunologists accountable and, and in my field and so on and so forth. So um, so that's, I say this because I'm sort of coming at this a bit like a layperson in the sense that I, I trust vaccines because they go through a really rigorous process. And I was unsure about the logic of a fast-tracked vaccine. I didn't understand how it's possible that you could do develop a vaccine so quickly. So I looked into it. Um, consulted the experts. And um, yeah, it's exactly as you say. So there's a number of factors here. One is that um, speaking to the power of government or the power of, I would say, not necessarily government, but certainly social cooperation, one of one way of which can be through uh, uh, state funding. Um, we were able to, uh, uh, in the states, for example, um, fast track vaccines by providing enormous amount of funding to scientific uh, researchers and to um, companies. Uh, and what that meant was a couple of things. One is you don't have to go through the process of applying for funds, waiting to get the, you know, where it's sort of a, a piecemeal process. They could just go straight ahead and, and plow ahead with the next, the, next, um, the next step in the in the pipeline. Another thing they could do was they could embark on riskier projects. So if a, a pharmaceutical company wants to um, do a phase one trial, then see what the results are, and is it worth going for a phase two trial based on the data? They didn't have to do that. They could just do all of it. They could even do it in parallel to one another. Um, they could do a lot of these steps in parallel to each other. Obviously, you have to do some things ahead of time. So you have to show, for example, that it's not dangerous before you start doing it in humans. Um, you can't just go straight to humans and say, oh, we're doing it in parallel. It doesn't work like that. But you can, there are phases of the clinical trial process that you can parallelize. And they were able to do this because you wouldn't do this normally if you were just wagering your own money. But because they're using state money, they were able to do this in, um, without worrying that, oh, we're going to lose billions of dollars if this doesn't work. Um, and so that allowed them to move much, much faster. Another thing, as you say, is that they were basing this on other research. So SARS and MERS um, were, uh, are also coronaviruses. Uh, they were not very contagious, but were extremely deadly. So that's why you probably heard about SARS back in the day. Um, this is another, by the way, bait and switch that Plandemic and a lot of like uh, grifters do, which is say, oh, they knew about SARS. Oh, there's patents around SARS. Yeah, it's a different virus. It's not the same virus. Uh, having a patent on SARS Cove one does not, or Cove, I guess it was just called, doesn't give you anything special with relation to SARS Cove two. Um, yeah, you know, there was, it's just, it's, it's absolute misinformation. But what we did learn from it is that they were, they're similar viruses. So there were aspects of SARS Cove um, uh, uh, one and, and, and MERS and, and similar 
uh, viruses that we could learn from. And in fact, at the time, there were a lot of there was a lot of development done on vaccines for those viruses. But because they unfortunately killed people as opposed to spreading across the whole population, there wasn't actually a need for a vaccine because it kind of killed itself out. It wasn't actually very evolutionarily, I suppose, um, uh, uh, um, beneficial for it to be so lethal um, because it just ended up killing so many people. And also, as I say, wasn't as wasn't as contagious. Another thing is the, the technologies used in these vaccines, particularly the, the Pfizer and the um, Moderna vaccine. Um, so these are uh, uh, messenger RNA vaccines or mRNA vaccines. And um, I can get into the details of what that means, but ultimately what the, the, the main point is that this is a new kind of vaccine, which might seem, ooh, that's scary, but actually messenger RNA, well, first of all, messenger RNA is just, uh, is, is, is a thing that exists in all our cells all the time. All, all this is is producing, is a messenger RNA from, from uh, uh, that codes for a, a small piece of the virus. Um, it can't become a whole virus. It can't do anything like that. But that small piece is then recognized by your cells. And then you can generate um, the, the necessary immunity so that you can fight off the virus if you ever encounter it. And this technology has been around for quite a while. And in fact, there are a lot of vaccines that were in development with messenger RNA um, uh, technology. And now there are a lot of them are being fast-tracked because what COVID has done is forced those things, the first, the, the COVID ones through, proven they work and they work really, really well. And so now they're looking at this for Ebola and for a lot of other kinds of um, diseases. And so actually COVID has helped spur other research and also other researchers helped um, helped uh, with the, with the COVID uh, vaccine. So there's a lot of factors that go into this, but I think it's reasonable to, to have those those fears. The last thing I'll just say, and this is something that I think is a legitimate thing to bring up. I genuinely mm -hmm. do. And I don't, I don't, because again, I think it's important to meet people where they're at. Yeah. We were able to fast track these studies because the vaccine, the, the virus was so contagious that they had more um, test cases than they, than they uh, thought they would. And so they were able to actually test the, eff the efficacy of the vaccine in a much quicker fashion. So the, the two things that, or two of the things that you want to test with the vaccine are safety and efficacy. So they could test eff efficacy just because it was so prevalent and so contagious. On the other hand, safety is a real question. So how do we um, measure safety over the course of just one year? And to be honest with you, um, you can't. You can measure safety over the course of one year, but you can't measure safety over the course of 10 years because you don't have 10 years to measure it. Yeah. But and this is this is and this is something that I was wondering about because I always valued vaccines for the long period they take to really do these longitudinal studies. But what I have learned, and and it's been very helpful. I mean, one of my former professors, an immunology professor, he really understands this in excruciating detail. Like he is, and he's a very very good speaker. He's worth checking out. His name is Dr. Wilmar Webley. Anyway, he um, he he talks about, and it's a way of framing it that I guess I just hadn't thought about, but makes perfect sense, which is that vaccines are a medicine just like any other medicine. And the way medicine works across the spectrum, uh, whether it is a pill, a vaccine, a surgery, a treatment of some kind, is it is a cost-benefit ratio always. So, you know, does this uh, treatment of whatever kind it is cause more harm uh, uh, than it does uh, good, right? So, if uh, I have cancer and I'm definitely going to, to, to pass away from this cancer, it's terminal, then I'm definitely gonna try something like radiotherapy or chemotherapy where this consequent, the side effects are very, very deleterious, right? I you know, lose my hair, it can make me very sick, makes me, you know, whatever. But to get rid of the cancer, I'll do anything, right? So the cost benefit ratio there is very different 
than if somebody just stubbed their toe. You wouldn't give them chemotherapy if that was a treatment for a stubbed toe because <laughs> the consequences of chemotherapy are much worse than a stubbed toe. So it's the same with vaccines. So here they had to look and say, well, is it better to get COVID-19 and all of the potential consequences, including death, or is it better to give someone a vaccine, which we know for at least the course of a year, and those studies are ongoing and continue to go uh, forward. They're not stopping these safety uh, checks and monitoring. Is it better to give them a vaccine that will prevent them from getting COVID-19 at extremely high rates? So it's very, very effective. Um, so almost guaranteed you won't, you won't get at least the, the basic strain of, of, of COVID-19, of, uh, of, of the coronavirus. Um, uh, if you have this uh, uh, vaccine, is that uh, an, uh, uh, preferable to whatever side effects that we've seen from the vaccine so far? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Absolutely, we do not. Uh, um, uh, we do not think that it is uh, preferable to get the virus. And in fact, the CDC has this very explicitly because there are some people who think they'd rather just go contract the virus and develop natural immunity, whatever that means. There's no such thing as natural immunity. All right, we live in a society where we are. Um, I should just cut it there. We live in a society, um, but um, but we live in a society where everything that we do is is impacting our health and our immune system and etc. Et and getting it naturally, it makes no sense. It's not a real thing. C coronavirus in general only really is here, not 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 because it's not natural. It certainly is a natural virus. There's no suggestion that it was man-made. But you know, it's linked to things like climate change and it's linked to things like globalization, etc. Like we, it is a man-made virus in the sense that it is man-made because the conditions were set by by human humanity it is not man-made right. because it's not an artificial thing right so don't don't go try collect catch coronavirus or any other kind of disease to get natural immunity it's not going to be any better it's probably going to be worse and in fact the evidence right now suggests it is worse if you get coronavirus aside from all the consequences of getting COVID-19 we're not entirely sure what the long-term you have some basic immunity for a short time but we're not sure that it lasts beyond that Whereas we know the data on vaccines, and if you get both of your shots for the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, you are going to be in much, much better shape. You know, we're talking 95% um, uh, protection. So yeah. don't don't do that. Uh, it's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. So so definitely, please, whoever's out there, please get your vaccine when the opportunity arises. Because yeah, you could get COVID twice. You know, I've had a I had a friend that had it twice now. So you know, reinfection is a real thing. It's a real thing. And as the virus mutates, this is something I think also people have asked and I've asked, which is what's the point of getting a vaccine? Because, you know, there's these new variants that the, the mm -hmm. vaccines aren't as good against. Okay, fair enough. First, first point on that. Um, one, slowing it down, even if you get 20% protection from the new variants and 95% against the old variants, you have two benefits there. One, you've prevented the new variant, at least a little bit, potentially from getting, uh, getting at your, uh, your, your, um, your body and your health. You've also prevented the common variant from circulating, which leads to new variants. So that's really good. And if you get the uh, the the jabs, the the shots that you that you need for the current um, uh, uh, vaccines that are protect very well against the common variant, which again is most of the variant at, the, at this point, you are primed for when there are subsequent booster shots, if and when. And Moderna apparently is working on one for some of the new variants, even though they've shown that their vaccine is, is still pretty decent at the, uh, uh, against the new variants. And so when those new booster shots come out, you just go and get a, a top up, basically. 
But if you don't have the first two shots, well, now you have to go get <laughs> three shots in order to accommodate this uh, this new this new vaccine potentially. And so it's it's really it's 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 a protection for now. It's a setup for later. Uh, it's future proofing yourself if you like that kind of uh, tech uh, <laughs> babble. But that that's what it is. And I think that people should really think of it like that because um, I, it can feel futile. But I think that there's a real value in 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 protecting yourself now and also getting yourself ready to be protected again in the future. Yeah, exactly. Because I guess that goes into the next topic. You know, we're all trying to get vaccinated. Can you ex can you explain just to uh, just the con you know common person just the breakdown why herd immunity why we're you know is so crucial just the herd immunity itself? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's it's herd immunity is one of the main um, and most crucial reasons for um, for getting vaccinated. So there are people in society who can't get vaccinated for whatever reason. They might have an allergic response to vaccines. They might have an immuno immunocompromised condition that prevents them from getting a vaccine or that it'll, it'll, it won't do anything for them or whatever the case may be. Those individuals rely on everyone else being vaccinated in order to survive. Right? These are people who, if they come in contact with things that would not necessarily kill us, although they might, certainly like COVID-19, they will definitely kill these individuals. And so if those people go through society and they never encounter anyone who wasn't vaccinated, their chance of contracting that illness is basically zero. But if they go through society and there are a bunch of people who could have gotten vaccinated and decided not to, they are now at risk for, a, uh, for, for um, contracting that illness, which is again, life-threatening. So by vaccinating and making sure you and your community are vaccinated, you're protecting people who are extremely vulnerable who don't have the option to get vaccinated. And they didn't make a choice. Again, to going back to this idea of choice, you know, I choose that I want to get vaccinated or I choose I don't want to get vaccinated. It's my body. Okay, well, again, by you making this choice, uh, they didn't get to choose and now are at risk because of your choice. So that's what it's about. Um, and again, it, you know, it can, you know, any sort of uh, it, these illnesses can spread from people who don't even realize they have it. Uh, because they have a good immune system, et cetera, to somebody who's very immunocompromised. And you might not even realize it's not like you're sick. You know, it's like, oh, well, if you're sick, you'll just stay home. Well, that doesn't work like that because I might get COVID-19 in a really mild way and don't even realize I have it. There's these asymptomatic cases, et cetera, but I might pass it on to someone who is vulnerable. And so it's really important for herd immunity that everyone get vaccinated because, um, it, you know, it, again, there are these individuals who can't. And I think um, to take their life into your hands because you've decided that you don't want to do it. Um, again, not based in the science. I have, can't mm -hmm. stress this enough. Um, it's not based in science to 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 um, to resist these vaccines. Um, uh, it might be based in the history of science. Fair enough, but it's not based in the science. And the science says these things are are good and protect people. So you should definitely do that for your sake and for the sake of others. Which is really the the core core aspect is to have that empathy for people who who don't have the option. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, I don't know, some people have uh, compared like being a carrier, you know, carrying these germs, uh, carrying the virus to almost like being a bioweapon, you know. That's exactly it. And, That's uh, exactly it. And um, I just, I want to raise this point. I, I don't want to give oxygen to this because I think it's, I don't want to give too much oxygen to this because I think it's a, it's a pernicious and um, uh, it is an appealing narrative, but it's not one that's again grounded in reality. So I think there's a lot of people out there who are fearful of vaccines for what they contain. And by the way, everything, so while the recipes uh, in the sense of um, uh, specific manufacturing processes and so on are, are, are um, patent protected 
because companies are terrible. Um, it is uh, the ingredients are in, are available, and they're available for every vaccine ever. So you can go look it up. But you can look it up for Pfizer and Moderna, and they'll tell you straight up what's in it. One thing I'll tell you that is not in it uh, is uh, thimerosal, which um, is something that a lot of um, uh, individuals have been concerned about in the past. They uh, it is a form of mercury, um, but it is a, a form of mercury that is completely harmless. It's been shown to be harmless in every case that it's ever been tested in. Um, it was a preservative. It was a, meant to keep uh, vaccines from um, from expiring, essentially. Um, but despite it being completely healthy, I presume in an effort to increase the compliance, because they didn't want this non-issue to become a barrier to people getting vaccinated. The, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines don't have thimerosal. They have no preservatives at all. So I think even if you believe, and it's not real, right, that, 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 uh, that mercury is going to somehow hurt you um, in the context that it exists in these, um, in, these, in these vaccines, even if you believe that, and again, it's not true, but even if you believe it, these vaccines don't have any of those things. So get the vaccine, um, but get the vaccine if it had thimerosal in it, because it's not, it's, it's not harmful. It's, uh, it's actually making it so that you don't get a vaccine that's gone off or some of these other um, uh, elements or, or uh, ingredients in, in vaccines that people you know, look at suspiciously are there to prevent bacteria from growing there, they're antibiotics, or uh, they might be adjuvants. An adjuvant is something that uh, increases your immune response. So it has no impact other than increasing your immune response and giving you a better effect of your vaccine. These are all very legitimate and reasonable things to want to improve when you're getting a vaccine. You don't want to get, I mean, would you rather have a vaccine that you inject and it's filled with bacteria and you get blood poisoning and die? No, obviously not. Nobody wants that. So, you know, it's good to have an, anti, an, uh, an antibiotic in there. But the antibiotic is not going to do anything to you. It's only going to kill bacteria. Um, and the same with a, a preservative. It's just there to make sure that the vaccine doesn't go off so that you, you get, a, you know, you don't get expired milk, basically, in your, yeah. uh, as your medicine. And that's, I, I would imagine people would want that, right? You know, you, if you're going to get the, the, the stupid thing, at least, you know, let it be bacteria free and, uh, and not expired. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um... And yeah, you know, I mean, like, you know, if, if they have, you know, these companies, if they're, you know, they have a patent and they're, I guess, you know, uh, devil's advocate, like making, uh, you know, profit, you know, I'm sure that they would want to make it as safe as possible. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, look, I have no, I, I, if I were to just rely, if I had to take their word for it. So for example, let's, let's, let's take an example that is from this pandemic, from these vaccines, from these companies. I think it was... Pfizer, I could be wrong about this. Anyway, they put out their clinical data um, just a few months ago. It hadn't been published yet. It was just the there was a press release. I it's interesting to see the data. I don't am not interested in the sense of it doesn't convince me because it's a company saying this is how great our vaccine is. Isn't it amazing? What I want to see is a peer-reviewed article in a journal and not the Pfizer blog saying this is a good vaccine. That has happened. It has also happened with Moderna and it's happened with a number of other vaccines. All vaccines go through numerous, numerous, numerous studies, and comparisons and safety metrics, et cetera, to make sure that they're up to, up to snuff. Um, but I think it's reasonable to say, I'm not going to just take the word for it um, because why would you trust the, you know, profit motive isn't going to generate necessarily a good medicine. There's no reason to believe that that would be the case. It could be a good enough medicine that it just sort of 
does the job, but just mm -hmm. barely, right? As long as they can make a little bit of profit of it, that would be good. But that's not the case because they have to get in order for this to pass through regulatory uh, bodies and also for the scientific community to endorse it in any way, shape or form, the medical community, it has to go through peer review. It has to be evaluated by other scientists looking at it who say, who don't work at these companies um, to say, this vaccine is safe, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's efficacious and, uh, uh, it, people should should inject inject these these um, can, components into their body. I mean, it's a serious thing to ask people to do. Um, so you need to really go through that process. But that's what happens. And once that happened, which it did, I was much more comfortable with it. So I think I think people should should really look at that. Is it coming from the company, or is it coming from a peer reviewed uh, journal? And peer reviewed journals are are not infallible, but they are a much better system than pretty much anything else we have. It's how we know anything about science is because ten different people all or ten different labs all come to the same conclusion, uh, and other labs have cross referenced to check and make sure that the data isn't isn't nonsense, or they've tried to repeat some of the the um, some of the uh, the work to make sure that it works. Like that's how science is, and so. Um, it's not a perfect system and it's fused with all sorts of problems, but it is, it is a functional one for the moment. And it is, it is how we develop any kind of medicine. So if you take any kind of medicine, you should take a vaccine yeah. um, and you yeah. should take medicine. Medicine's good for you. Yeah. Vitamins. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Trust the science. Um, and we're just kind of winding down this vaccine 101, but I had one quick question before we go on our last topic. Uh, Cause I asked my mom, if you had uh, any questions to, to ask you. Before sure. Recording. Uh, and we did talk about the strain. She was, you know, asking about the strain and pretty much answered that. Um, she was asking any side effects for, uh, for older women, especially since she had friends and, you know, they're all kind of the same age group that you could uh, talk about to, to look out for. Um, yeah, so so um, it's actually kind of interesting. So, is there a specific age range? I don't want to. Oh yeah. yeah. No, no, it's all right. Yeah, she's uh, her and her friends are in her uh, 60s, 70s. 60s, 70s. Yeah, I mean, I think especially for that age range, I think it's I think it seems like there's not a huge a huge risk. I think there's been some question as to the efficiency of the vaccine for older people, and I I think the other reality is that you know we don't necessarily know why. Um, that might be the case, you know, maybe your immune system just starts slowing down as you get older, you know, I mean, how many old people get sick, and then get pneumonia, which is like extra, and then they die suddenly, right, or, or whatever the case is, like, the, and, and maybe that's a result of, of long term just immune, you know, immunodeficiency just developing over time. Um, that said, in terms of side effects, it seems like for Pfizer, and, and again, I'm not a doctor, if all of these women should speak to their doctor and get real advice based on their medical background and uh, and history and and really ask your doctor as many questions as you want doctors are there to answer your questions they are absolutely that's what they train for and they are meant to do that and they should do that and if they're not doing that for you get a new doctor get a doctor who's going to answer your questions and be and be responsive and understanding that you are distrustful or you're worried um, that said from what i understand it seems like the side effects are extremely minor the the main thing is Pfizer, you're very fortunate to get Pfizer, and I hope I get Pfizer too. If uh, mm -hmm. when I get my when I get my vaccine, because um, I, I have gotten it yet, uh, as I said before. Um, but the uh, the Pfizer vaccine seems to have be much easier to take in the sense that you don't tend to get the soreness, the um, the uh, the the uh, aches and pains like Moderna. You might get some. And in fact, somebody, uh, uh, my 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 partner's father, um, somebody at work got it and, and had almost no effects um, uh, on them uh, in, in most, uh, in most uh, by most metrics. 
but people I know who have gotten Moderna have felt, you know, a bit, a bit tired or they've had very, it's been very sore where they got the injection. This doesn't last more than what, 24, 48 hours. I mean, it's, it's nothing, but you know, it's uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. It's uncomfortable, but it's not, it's not COVID-19. So, yeah. um, and, and I think, you know, having some soreness at age 70 versus having COVID-19, I'd rather have some soreness. So um, from what I understand, that seems to be the, the, the prime, uh, the prime con concern. But I'd also say, please go to the CDC website. They have these incredible uh, um, uh, frequently asked questions sections that they've developed specifically for exactly these kinds of points. And just type into Google, like COVID-19 vaccine, uh, Pfizer, CDC. Um, or and then there's not just CDC. There's the Mayo Clinic. There's all these different health facilities of complete experts who are um, if they're in this. If you don't like the CDC because it's the government, go to the Mayo, Mayo Clinic, which is a, a you know a university. Um, uh, it's academic. I mean, um, where so it's 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 not it's not uh, it's not a company. It's not a it's not a, a, a government. And uh, if, if that's your concern, and just see and you'll see they comport with each other because they're all working from the same data and the data is very strong. Um, and they of all because they're really invested in people getting vaccinated. They have developed videos, uh, frequently asked questions, etc. And I would recommend checking those out. And they can get into more detail, saying for your age group, for your background for your sort of uh, history, here's what the general trend is. And even then I wouldn't take that as gospel. I would say, this is what I've seen uh, to your doctor. Say, yeah, this is what I've seen. It looks like it's okay for me to get this vaccine. What do you think? And your doctor will tell you. And I think that's probably the best way to go about it. That's Definitely okay. don't take my advice. I'm not a doctor, but uh, <laughs> I, I would say, talk to your doctor and, and, and go that way. No, no, for sure. I'll uh, relay that, relay that to her. And also she's probably listening right now on the <laughs> Uh, she'll listen to this podcast when it's out. So yeah, uh, just to end in the last question, since you know this is also such a crucial part of where we're at in uh, this distribution and the vaccine rollout. Sure. Um, after we get the vaccine, so like me and Diego got it, mm -hmm. uh, we want to you know stay safe. Um, you know, keep uh, you know we don't want to get it again. What have you? We have all this protection. Um, can you talk to um, just the aspect of? you know, you're, we're still building up this herd immunity, like things that we still should be doing, like double masking, not traveling, testing, mm -hmm. anything uh, that's essential uh, to after this, uh, you get your vaccination until we get to the herd immunity. So, um, so first I'll just, just to mention, so obviously we know testing, um, uh, not traveling, social distancing, uh, washing your hands, these are very effective, um, at wearing a mask. Uh, something that is a bit new from what I understand, I mean, it's not my area, but from what I've sort of encountered seems to be this idea of double masking. And the CDC has a very useful with illustrations uh, a page on masks, which you can check out, but basically what their advice is and, and the current um, advice seems to be that um, if you have a disposable mask and you have a cloth mask, um, to double mask in that sense, you put on the disposable mask and then you put the cloth mask over that can offer a little bit more protection. So that's a reasonable thing to want to do. Two disposable masks, they argued, doesn't really do anything and actually might disrupt the main thing, which is, again, what is the point of you wearing a mask so that you don't project onto other people? Um, and to do that, to, to prevent that, you need to have a seal, right? You need to make sure that it's completely covering your whole face um, or, or your, 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 um, your nose and mouth. And so, you know, one with a metal uh, sort of thingy to, to go over your nose so that it sort of goes down. That's, that's the kind of uh, um, uh, mask you want. And uh, if you have two masks, it might disrupt that, that sort of flow and make sure that, uh, and, and, and create 
maybe a ways for for um, uh, for moisture to escape, which you don't want. Um, so that's so that's something to maybe avoid uh, that, and also trying to double a disposable within a KN95 mask. KN95 KN masks are really, really, really good if you can get access to them. But to double it up with a disposable does nothing, and might actually again add. Um, uh, holes or, or, or gaps where you where it, you just end up losing um, uh, effectiveness. So 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 double masking with with a, a disposable cloth mask is a good idea. All these other ideas are good ideas. Definitely recommend. Now after your vaccination, this is really really important. Really want to stress this to people. It is a not a uh, license to do whatever you want. It is absolutely you should act as if you didn't get vaccinated. And I think we should do this for as long as we can as long as we can. I think people will get sick of it over time. That's okay. But at some point, that'll happen. For the time being, we should act as if we still, uh, that we, nobody has a vaccine. Let's say there is no vaccine. Just pretend everybody has COVID all the time. And the reason that you want to do that is a couple of reasons. One, as I said earlier, we want to slow down the spread of the common variant to prevent new variants from arising. We also want to prevent the, the spread of the new variants. If we continue doing the things we've been doing, social distancing, et cetera, then we can continue to slow the rate of the spread of all of these variants, all of them. And that'll gives us a chance to get rid of them, right? If nobody has the South Africa variant anymore, uh, then it can't spread anymore, right? So if we just continue to do these practices, it's really important. Another thing that's important is your first vaccination gives you a certain amount of protection. And we, we didn't get into it too much, too much detail, but both vaccinations are very important for the Pfizer and the Moderna that you really need to get both of them. Um, there's very little data on the, on the single dose uh, of, the vaccine, of the vaccine, there's some, and it looks like it gives, for one, it gives like 50% and the other, it gives like 80%, but it depends. And also they only measured this, again, the data is not strong because they only measured it after a very short amount of time, say 21, 23 days. So um, it really depends on uh, 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 that second dose that gives you that 95% immunity that we're talking about. And that lasts for, for a very long time. So that's, that's really the gold standard. So, you, so first of all, your first vaccination might not give it to you. Even after your second vaccination, you should still uh, act as if because let's just assume and that last 5%, maybe you will get COVID and, and, and then you, know, you don't want to spread it to somebody who, who hasn't gotten the vaccination yet, right? You just want to be as safe as possible. You want to slow that in its tracks. Um, and the other thing too, is uh, that when you get your first dose, uh, you don't get immunity right away. Uh, in fact, there's a large, a long period of time. I think it's, I could be wrong about this. So I would definitely check this, but it's something like 12 days before you even start to see the effects uh, of the immunity. So, you know, you can get the vaccination and then immediately go you know, get COVID from somebody. So don't do that. <laughs> um, you, what you want to do is get it. You want to then continue to operate as you were and avoid getting COVID and then build up your immunity and let your body actually deal with what was, it was just given. It was just given a little, a little bit, a little, little um, representation of the virus so that it can understand what it is. And so that when you're, um, when you get that second dose, uh, you start creating these memory cells that really are able to give you this long-term immunity. And that's really, 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 really important. That is where uh, you're going to get that long-term benefit from. So, uh, and even once you have that, as I say, um, it's better to just not spread it around as much as possible because, I mean, I don't even need to have the virus. If I, uh, I don't even need to, 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 to actually um, uh, 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 contract the virus. If I 
shake hands with somebody who just coughed into their hand and I get it on to me. And then I shake hands with somebody else. I may never get it because I'm vaccinated, but I still could give it to someone else. Right. And what's the last time you shook hands with anyone? Let's keep it that way. Right. Let's yeah. uh, avoid it at all costs. And then, you know, at some point, hopefully we'll get back into a more normal state. But I think people would rather do a couple more months of social distancing rather than, you know, restart the whole process because we've got a new variant the vaccine some work against and everybody is sort of back to square one. I feel right. like that would be worse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, just keep staying safe. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Was it stay calm and uh, carry on? Yeah, keep calm and carry on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so, yeah, I think that's I think that's uh, that's really the gist of it. But I, I hope people do. When I say do your own research, I mean, look at experts. Don't go reading, you know, weird blogs that are by people who don't know what they're talking about. Go read actual scientific um, communications from universities. You know, people synthesize this stuff for you. You don't have to read the academic papers because they you can, but they can be difficult. I know I find them difficult and I am literally a PhD student. Um, but go and especially if it's not your field. I mean, if it's not my field, I half the time don't know what anyone's talking about because it's so different than what I do. But I can read, for example, if you go to Nature um, uh, Nature Journal's uh, website, which is nature.com uh, or the Science um, uh, Magazine, which is another uh, really excellent um, uh, academic journal. They have uh, articles written by uh, their news section, which are sort of, um, synth synth uh, uh, they end up being a synthesis of, of, of the literature. So you can see what the latest is going on in the academic world in, a, in terms that might be a bit easier to understand and a bit more accessible to people. And also, you don't, you know, the details aren't all that interesting to everyone, right? But you wanna know, like, I hear that masks are, double masks are a good idea. Well, guess what? People have studied this. Oh, I hear that uh, this vaccine has 95% uh, or, or it's supposed to be really good. What are the numbers on that? These articles will summarize those points for you in a way that's hopefully understandable without you having to read, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, CD4, CD8 uh, readouts in a, in a fax graph, which means nothing to anyone unless you <laughs> study immunology. So, um, you know, get the gist of it. And I think that you can do that and get it from really good sources without, uh, sort of going down that rabbit hole towards, uh, you know, the Dell big trees of this world. Um, yeah. Who should I, be abolished. <laughs> I always say just like, you know, look at like the web design of the stuff that you look at. If it looks like it's Often designed, a clue. <laughs> yeah. If it looks like it's designed by like a, like a five-year-old that has like, you know, like, was it like the Space Jam site that's still up yeah. from the nineties? If it looks like that, then that's a bullshit site. But, it probably uh, is. I mean, we let's, let's, let's be clear. You can be duped by marketing and companies with slick websites, right. but it is a hint if the only place you can find this information is some person assuring you that they are definitely in on some secret knowledge that no one else has, as opposed to, I mean, one of the great things about science, one of the bad things about science is that we, we often put articles behind paywalls and it shouldn't be that way. They should be open access. I fully, fully support that. If anyone ever wants an article, just send me a message. I'll get you, I'll get you access. But, um, but on the other hand, we are quite open. So, you know, we are, our data goes out there we have to provide a lot of data to a journal when we want to publish something. And then it is open for other people to critique. So when we provide it, then the reviewers get to look at it. These are other academics in our field and they get to say, oh, this data you've shown uh, looks a bit uh, funny. It falls perfectly along. You know, it, your, your data says one, two, three, four. That seems kind of suspicious. And they can challenge you on it and force you to, to have to redo experiments, to provide new data, to test it themselves. And then even once it gets published, it can still be challenged by people who say, you know, this was reported, but we've shown that this isn't the case. That's how science works is open. What if you ever encounter anyone who tells you, no, 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 trust me, I have secret knowledge, nobody else knows. I think you should 
question that uh, approach because it's probably nonsense and they're probably trying to sell you something. Yeah, fucking grifters. And by the way, it's exactly what, as I said earlier, it's exactly what, I mean, I wasn't saying, I'm not saying that they were making any of this up, but when Pfizer puts out a, a PR statement, it's exactly the same. They're saying, trust us. We're not showing you the, the details, but just trust us. These are the results. Well, I don't trust that yet. I want to see the data. I want to actually see what the paper says. The problem is with the blog is there is no subsequent paper. They just make the assertion and move on with their lives. So, you know, it, 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 as long as you can back what, up what you're saying, it's fine. But if you can't back it up, you know, we've got a problem. And a lot of these these um, hucksters don't have any way to back up what they're saying because it's not true. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, that, that covered like all the questions that we had in our document. Most of you go. No, no. I mean, that was I thank you so much, Soren, for, for coming on to do that. I know we still have a little bit more to talk about. Mm -hmm. on a, but yeah, I mean, thank you so much. That, that was yeah. sure. Really yeah, thank you. yeah, thank you, good sir. This was like a mini, uh, like uh, 101 on uh, COVID, uh, COVID, uh, the COVID vaccine and uh, safety. Uh, <laughs> well, I hope I hope it was useful. I mean, again, and and you know, science is always changing in terms of. This was something a lot of people have had fr been frustrated with. Or we went to the experts, but they had advice one week, and the next week it was something else. That's actually a good sign, right? That means that as new data and information came in, the scientists changed their view on what the best thing to do was. They're working with the latest data to give you the best advice. And the more time has gone on, gone on, of course, now we have much, we now know for sure, like there's no question washing your hands, social distancing, wearing a mask. These things are proven to work. In the beginning, there was different kinds of advice from different people on what would be appropriate and would work. But as soon as data came in that said, yes, this really does work, we've shown it works, it's very effective, then it became uh, 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 sort of the the um, the official advice of the public health community, and then we move on. Um, that doesn't happen in anti-science uh, environments. New data gets presented and it gets waved away like it's not real. Well, that's not science. So science changing is a good thing. It can be frustrating, but it means that we're trying to get you the best information that we have. Um, you know, if you if you hear that there's a, a, a plane crash. Uh, and there's there's three survivors, and you prepare supplies to go get those three survivors. But then you get new information that there's five survivors. Well, okay, well let's prepare for the, the you know the first information wasn't wrong, but it's you know it's the, the data the data has been updated. You could say, well, it should we should have stuck with the three, or why didn't you know there were five in the first place? Well, you know it takes time to get information, and maybe we didn't see the other two guys, but now we know there's five people, so let's prepare for that. And we change with the new information. We we adapt, and that is how society should work, right? We should adapt to new information and new evidence, and we should uh, uh, um, go forward from there. And as evidence amounts in a particular category, so you know a lot of evidence for masks being effective, we should acknowledge that and not pretend like it's not true because it is true and it's very good so we should do it and we should acknowledge that and work with and build policy around that and and shape our behavior around it so that's really important and i just think i think that can be a sort of a trap for people where they say if it changes it must not be true well no it, it can change because um that's that's the way it's designed and it's designed to not be dogmatic yeah exactly i was going to say look at cyberpunk 20 2777 <laughs> they put it out unfinished and now there's multiple patches and it makes it a better game. Exactly. Playable. Yeah. Exactly. 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 Um, although maybe not the best example because people seem to really not be happy with that game. Uh, and I hope people yeah. are a bit happier with science, but yeah, you know, we've got a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of work to do to get people invested in science. And I think that uh, that starts with having open and frank 
conversations and not pretending like, you know, people's concerns aren't legitimate, at least emotionally, even if not, not in the data. Exactly. Cool, cool. So I guess uh, that leaves us to our uh, last topic. Yeah, the, the one movie related topic of the day. <laughs> right, I mean, lighter, lighter stuff. We should start a science podcast. <laughs> yeah, that'd be dope. <laughs> I, I would say. But um, yeah, we're going to talk about pandemic movies now, which are quite frankly not as fun to talk about during an actual pandemic. But not uh, at all. also, Contagion made it onto iTunes top 10 for like most of 2020. So, <laughs> you know, maybe there's something wrong with us. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's funny because um, so it's funny because I, I think I've seen pieces of contagion um, in the past, but I haven't seen it beginning to end. I have seen Outbreak, which was sort of the spiritual predecessor, came out in 95. Um, we watched that in school and it you know, was like teaching us basic stuff about, um, I don't know why we watched it, but we did in a biotechnology class. And the, and the purpose was to, you know, sort of teach us about how pandemics happen with patient zero and this whole, you know, all these words and lingo. I really just think the teacher wanted to show us a movie, but um, uh so that was the last thing I saw there, but you know, I almost watched Contagion just for this podcast, which mm -hmm. I, I'm always happy to watch a movie for 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 uh, for this podcast or for any podcast, uh, but definitely this one. Um, but I looked at it and I just and I watched the trailer, and I said, you know, we're living this right now. This looks miserable. Why would yeah. anybody want to watch this in the middle of COVID nineteen? It seems like sadistic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I, I watched I, it for the first time last night, actually. Okay, and there I, you go. Yeah, I was like, God, I was like, I, I'm like, I want to go to bed now. Like, I, exactly. I'm, yeah, exactly. But like, you know, it, you know, you have these scenes of Gwyneth Paltrow, just as just from like, you know, again, going off of um, memories and and some <laughs> and the trailers, you know, these scenes of her like in the hospital and she's miserable and sick and whatever. And then you have uh, uh, Matt Damon not uh, believing that his wife is dead and, and, and whatever. You know, we've seen actual video of this exact thing happening over and over and over and over again. It's hard to get invested in a fictionalized account. Um, I think pandemic adjacent films can be really, really exciting and really engaging. So, for example, Tank Cloverfield Lane, uh, it's a great film. Mm -hmm. um, and that's you know, is it even about a pandemic? Who knows? Um, but it is, uh, that's, I think, I think it actually captures some of the psychology without playing with the imagery of pandemics, which is actually quite traumatic and horrible to watch. But the psychology of being cooped up with somebody and, you know, <laughs> you know, that kind of like a, with the, sen the sentiment of lockdown, I think in 10 Cloverfield Lane, for example, is, is very palpable. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. So, did you guys watched uh, Contagion? But did does it hold up? Did you? Was it actually good? I, I I thought it did. Like it, it was like this, like kind of like a, a zeitgeist of like I don't know, like what was going to happen in ten years or like mm -hmm. a foreshadowing because like you know I'm watching them like crowd the supermarket and sure enough, mm -hmm. you know that happened with toilet paper. I mean, there wasn't. I mean, there was probably like you know some like people just like I don't know. Uh, they weren't, you know, a lot of people. I remember when I was buying like toilet paper water, you know, it wasn't exactly like that, but it was pretty close. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this breakdown of almost society, you know. So, like, I mean, well, mm -hmm. it's that thing where, like, yeah, back then when you watch, you're like, oh, this is kind of what would happen, but it's also like a movie, so probably not. 
but you know like some of the best movies are, are like a representation of reality this one is like actually it was just like actual reality you know with, with like some some I, I think it holds up great i think it's a fantastic movie like top five steve so we'll need to actually watch it then yeah <laughs> yeah I, I think you and a killer score by cliff martinez who yeah. did oh i do yeah yeah the same year he did the score to drive which of course mm. is like legendary and i think this one is like right up there but um there's like little stuff here with like the stuff about like a online journalist kind of like feeding into paranoia that I, I think just the way we treat journalists on film needs to kind of be like readjusted right now. Just, uh, American culture, you know, maybe, maybe there's, I got there, but like that, that's not a problem with the movie. That's just a problem with me fearing reality at the, yeah. at the you know? um, but I, I think it's a great film. Uh, maybe put it off for a little while longer. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, it's I, funny because like at the end of the trailer, there's these like these um, brilliant uh, uh, like shots of like empty streets and and uh, empty stores, and you know it probably had a lot of impact in 2011. But I'm looking at it going, yeah, we saw these photos last year and it was real and it really happened. So um, you know, and they were they were even more amazing because they were real and they really like those shots of like in China, which is just like these incredibly busy streets, but just completely empty. And it was like a desert. I mean, that was, but I saw that, you know, I had that experience. So like when it happens in the trailer, you're like, yeah, yeah. So he also lived through COVID-19, but you know, like <laughs> nine years ago. <laughs> yeah. Or dead years ago. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, and, and then I think there's a, there's a question of apparently um, uh, uh, like a lot of people, this is sort of the science of these outbreak, these, uh, these pandemic films like outbreak and, and contagion. And um and uh, weirdly, they found that The Happening was the most uh, scientifically accurate of all these films. Weirdly, oh. I, you know, um, but <laughs> People, <laughs> it might be my favorite. Yeah. Um, but uh, but no, it's uh, uh, they definitely didn't, by the way. And everyone should go watch The Happening. But it's um, it's <laughs> it's not the most accurate film or really uh, good film, I would say. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, but what, what they said was that uh, a Contagion was much more accurate than than Outbreak was, and that they'd sort of improved a lot of the science in it even despite having still some caveats to that. Um, and it's always funny watching science and movies, especially anything related to biology, where um, really, I think the, the thing that's the funniest about it is, yeah, they get things wrong. And, you know, people who are very niche in their field get really irritated by certain things. Uh, like, you know, viruses can't become airborne when they start off as, as parasite born. And that's true. You know, I'm making them sound like nerds. It's me. I mean, I'm I'm the nerd. Um, but uh, and that's fair enough. Um, but then it's even simpler things than that. You don't have to get into like, oh, can a virus do this or that? Um, or my area, which is genome editing. Uh, you know, and it's like it's the bad guy in in, in Spider-Man. It's the bad guy in Rampage, and it's the bad. You know, it's you know, CRISPR is the evil. You know, thing. Um, but like, you know, you don't even have to get that niche. You just have to get into like. You know, they develop a vaccine for uh, uh, um, for a virus in the space of like a day, or it's someone's blood cures the entire population, or <laughs> you know, whatever. Just things that like, or or even worse. So so time scale is completely nothing. It's nonsense in these films. But even worse than that is uh, when they when they string together. This happens a lot more in like TV and like uh, crime shows, but also in other things, where they string together a bunch of scientific words. So they'll say something like this protein is mutated into DNA and it sounds really good, 
but it means nothing and it means, <laughs> has absolutely no context or meaning. like there's no scenario in which that sentence means anything in science but it's all the words but they've just been arranged in a very strange way so that's always funny too um so i think it's always worth taking these movies with a grain of salt but i think what they can capture as all movies can to some extent is the sense of empathy and uh, understanding our psychology so i think that's where pandemic films i think do hit something very useful which is you know how do we react as a society do we and and also they can reflect our our worst instincts we could all you know turn into this sort of mad max world or we could we could um you know actually co cooperate and collaborate uh, which again may not make for a great film but is is a thing that really does happen and i think people should be made aware of yeah yeah i i think there could be a great movie about like collaboration in times of hardship. Uh, that's not me saying I want to see a movie about these last couple of years by any means. <laughs> right. <laughs> feel like we've been yeah. talking. Um, but I, I just want to dial back for one second because sure. up like pseudoscience and stuff like that. You and I have had conversations about Spider-Man, obviously. We're Spider <laughs> yeah, sure. And uh, The Flash, the first season, which is, you know, like I think a spectacular season of television. It's genius. It's fantastic. It's so good. What happened? Um, <laughs> <laughs> right what, what happened there but uh you also I, i'll never forget you brought up like the hilarious pseudoscience that show had in particular where it's just like it, it's it's nonsense it's less realistic than like star trek and star wars at times you know oh yeah for sure not that those shows ever really the thing is and it's kind of a funny thing because I think it's very, you know, it's, it's easy to be a Neil deGrasse Tyson sort of figure about movies, which, you know, makes you suck. I mean, yeah. he sucks. Yeah. Um, but um, it's, it's, it's insufferable and it, it doesn't contribute to anything. And it doesn't, if your point is to get people interested in science, that doesn't do it. I mean, in my view, it's not, it's not good science communication. Um, what you want to do is you want to, it's, it's, it's fun to use uh, science fiction movies as a way of introducing concepts to people. And then you can say, and in reality, it happens this way, um, or this would have taken six months or whatever, um, as opposed to pointing out all the sort of, the sort of issues. But I also don't mind if a film just makes, you know, one of my favorite um, Christopher Nolan films, and I'm not a huge Christopher Nolan guy, but it's, um, it's Interstellar, which spends a lot of time dealing with real science in the first chunk of it. And then at the end, it just goes sort of completely off the deep end into like weird, like emotional cross time and space connections. And to be, you know what? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I loved it because there's no evidence or it's not based on anything to do with science, but it doesn't even pretend to be. And I like that. I also like when, um, you know, uh, you get a, a movie like Star Wars, where they just say we have a like a like a, a warp. Well, no, I guess Star Trek. They have a warp drive. Or in uh, in, um, in Star Wars, they have uh, they can go into uh, warp speed or whatever mm -hmm. some sort. Not warp speed. What is it? Where they go really fast? Um, Hyperdrives or yeah, right. Um, it's fake, right? It's not a real thing. But fine, like you sort of set the table. You said you said in this universe we've figured out perpetual motion. In this universe we've whatever. And that exists here, or like you know, it's the same in, in in the Marvel movies. Like Iron Iron Man somehow is this perpetual uh, energy source. Fine, you've you've sort of said that. It's when you take things that actually exist and we know how they work, and then you've made up things about them that becomes a bit more frustrating. But even then, it can be useful. So, like I said, I, I work in genome editing, which is sort of playing with DNA. I guess is a, a way to to sort of think about it. In the movie Gattaca, 
which you may have seen, is a really, 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 really useful film for explaining what the potential consequences of this kind of fiddling around with, with genetics can lead to, um, where it creates this sort of genetic caste system and sort of uh, relating to what you said earlier. Um, and that is something that concerns me. Um, now, would things play out the way they did in Gattaca or would they play out the way they did in any, you know, any number of uh, movies? Maybe not. But I do think that there is value in using them as a way of uh, opening the conversation. So I think that... Um, just because something's scientifically inaccurate doesn't mean it can't be the beginning of a good a good discussion. And I think that's where, say, Neil deGrasse Tyson sort of misses the boat because he just goes, that's not how the sky moves. The sky <laughs> moves counterclockwise if you're in the southern hemisphere or whatever. You know, it's just yeah, like... He's, he's just cinemasins at this point. He literally is. He's scientific cinemasins. It's extremely mm-hmm. tedious. Um, <laughs> no, but the best... Uh, he was like, BB-8 is clearly CGI because he wouldn't be able to roll in the sand. And then they're like, and it well, was he- real. <laughs> thing we- and- God damn. So- yeah. That was so cool. What a cool practical effect. <laughs> he could have just said that or had said nothing, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, I don't know. But um, I don't I mean, like, okay, so we, we, we had this whole discussion about like an actual pandemic, obviously. I'm like pandemic movies, but like, Contagion is like maybe the one great one. Outbreak, I actually think is is kind of fun. Um, it's fun. It's got a good cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every, yeah. Everyone who starred in it though has like been canceled horribly. Uh, also that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just wow. Uh, but like, I, I I think of like zombies movies in particular like tend to be more. They're very uh, they're very pandemicy for sure. Yeah. You know. Uh, Day, Dawn of the Dead, excuse me. Like Gene and I talked about it for last Halloween with his Romero zombie stuff. Mm. And seeing the people reaction to that, like in the beginning of that film, that felt very like, oh yeah, that was the year we've just had, <laughs> you know? Like it's very like authentic, even though it's something that's not it's not reality, also. Mm. So I don't is are there even that many good like pandemic movies? That's a weird thing to talk about right now during an actual pandemic, but like I think well you kind of get weird like sort of pseudo pandemic films well certainly you have things like 28 days later and things like that that are quite you know a lot of zombie movies fit that but you also have the concept the um the uh, uh a good example in um even films like children of men sort of hit that same psychological notes without necessarily being a pandemic film right it's about and it's sci-fi right it's about a world where you can't have kill- kids and it's also one of my favorite movies. I really love Children of Men, but it's not a pandemic film. And I think it's really, I think that's what it comes down to is it's, it's films that capture the psychology of it. That's why I think 10 Cloverfield Lane really works, whether or not the pandemic is even really a part of the narrative. It sets the conditions. I'm a little long, so I apologize for that. I hope we're not keeping you like- No, no, it's totally fine. It's totally fine, no worries. Yeah, no, thank, thank you for like going through all these questions and you know staying longer than, than we thought. But yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's no worry. And, you know, just so people are aware, and this is, I think it's really important, I think, to communicate where this information comes from. So a lot of what I talked about today came from the CDC. It came from um, the Mayo Clinic, from different sort of um, authoritative, but not authority necessarily, um, sources. Uh, these are people with expertise. And I think that, the, and the reason I had to go to those sources is because I'm not an expert in these areas. And I think that this is this is a good example. I'm an example, I suppose, and anybody could be an example of, um, of, 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 go, of, of being this, you know, to synthesize these ideas, you know, say, I, I don't actually know how they know that, uh, that this vaccine works. How do they know that? Well, look it up and, and look it up 
you know, with a reliable source and you can do it yourself. And I think it's, it's really good to do that and to do it in a way that is um, critical um, and that you're thinking, well, where's the source? What, who, who's writing it and for what purpose? Um, you know, if it's something like the Mayo Clinic, right? The Mayo Clinic, what advantage, you know, they're not Pfizer, right? They have no, you, you might say, okay, fine. I don't want to go to Pfizer's website to learn about the vaccine. Well, like, that's mm -hmm. fine. That's reasonable. What about the CDC? Right. Oh, I don't want to go to CC. Fine. Go to go to go to the Mayo Clinic. Go to go to uh, Cornell. Go to uh, Vanderbilt. You know, all these places have information about vaccines, medicines, etc., uh, and you can learn from them. And uh, I, you know, there's nothing special that I did that other people couldn't do as well. Um, the only advantage I have is that occasionally when somebody says like messenger RNA, I know what that is intimately because it's part of my work. But other than that, you know, I'm I don't make vaccines. So. And if you don't either, you can do what I did then. So uh, go and, awesome. and read about it and uh, and feel comfortable. And it's good to feel comfortable about it. And most importantly, talk to your doctor. Yeah, well, I think that's a, a fantastic way of wrapping up the episode. So Soren Howell, thank you so much for joining us again. Sure thing. Uh, along with all the other stuff we've, we've talked about today, where can people find you online? Or do you not want people to find you at all? Because that happens. Oh, no, I mean, it's, it, yeah, I, that, that ship sailed a long time ago. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Soren Howe. Um, you can find uh, my uh, film website, moviefail.com, which uh, I work on with a number of uh, other people. It's a bit more dormant these days, but we, uh, you know, we sort of come up in fists and starts. Uh, you can go to Science for the People, uh, magazine.scienceforthepeople.org, where we, uh, there's a whole bunch of our articles uh, for Science for the People magazine uh, that are all about radical science and the, the intersection of science and society. It's, it's really interesting stuff, I think, and you can read about a People's Green New Deal, and you can read about biopolitics and all these other really cool um, subjects, uh, study of science under occupation, things like that. And then last, I, I do recommend checking out The Commoner, which is a UK outlet. It's an anarchist outlet that um, uh, we are completely, it's completely horizontally organized. It's uh, completely funded by Patreon. There's no other source of funding. So feel free to fund us if you'd like to do that, if you think that project is interesting. But also just come read our stuff. Um, we work really hard on, on putting out cool articles about everything from, from cyberpunk uh, 2077 to, fo uh, to well, football, soccer, um, uh, to um, mutual aid, uh, to COVID-19, et cetera. It's all covered and it's sort of through that that lens, that, that political lens that we that we have over there. So definitely check those out and uh, and uh, read, read more science, get involved, get interested. Uh, whether or not you care about science, science cares about you. Um, and uh, the, the decisions that are made in the scientific and medical world impact you. So you should be invested in them and, and know what they're talking about without falling prey to, uh, to people who are trying to take advantage of, uh, of your, your goodwill and good nature. Yeah, no, that, yeah, you know, trust the science. Huh? Oh. And next time, maybe we'll have a lighter subject. Hopefully the world will be in a better place to have a lighter subject discussion. I hope so. I hope so. But it's, it's good and it's important. And I think these kinds of conversations, hopefully, I don't, don't want to give it too much importance, you know, because it's, you know, um, but these kinds of conversations, and if you have these with your family and your friends and, and that sort of perpetuates, um, we can hopefully meet in better circumstances. If we don't have these conversations, I think we're much more likely not to have better circumstances in the future. And not to end on a dour note, but I think it's important for people to just be cognizant of, you know, if you think this is the last pandemic that even you're going to face in your lifetime, it's not. So, you know, and we were warned 10 years ago that this exact thing would happen and it, it's happened and it will happen again. And that's not necessarily a bad thing if we're prepared for it, if we meet it head on, if we look at the science and we understand and learn these lessons. I mean, the, the, just as a to give a little bit of a positive spin on that, 
the, the, the fast tracking of vaccines is a thing we never thought we could do in a way that would meet the needs of the moment. Now that we've done that, it could change the way we make vaccines forever. So we actually now have new tools because of this pandemic to deal with the next pandemic, should, it, uh, should that come uh, in the near or, or far future. So I think we have a lot of, a lot, there's a lot of good there, um, but we have a lot of dismantling of that, uh, that pyramid uh, if we want to uh, handle it in, a, in an efficient way and in a way that, that doesn't uh, leave people behind. Well said. Uh, Gene, now where can the people find you? Good luck topping that. <laughs> oh, no. I was just going to say, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, Gene9892. And uh, please check out my uh, video tutorial on how to register in LA County for the COVID vaccine. If you just type in that, you'll be good. Yeah, links down to that and everything else down below on the YouTube and SoundCloud descriptions. I believe you can actually see the descriptions on iTunes and Spotify, but I don't think anyone actually goes through those. So YouTube and SoundCloud, social medias, Twitter at the Waffle Press. And, uh, I'm, a, I'm at the Diego Crespo on Twitter, but check out the Waffle Press, the rest of uh, our shenanigans, because March is is a monster movie madness. So we're going to be ranking kaiju movies, talking Toho. Ooh, fun. Uh, versus Kong. Um, oh, really quick, Soren, what, what are your thoughts on the MonsterVerse? Just since you're you're here, what do you think about those I, movies? My thoughts? Um, so I, I, unfortunately, I wasn't as invested in the 2014 Godzilla film as other people were I'm not a I didn't I didn't quite understand the, the hype right. around it that said I <laughs> who doesn't love you know big monkey punch big lizard I mean that's that's great <laughs> and my favorite thing is that they had the exact same problem that they had back in the original films where King Kong is just the wrong size so they just made him bigger and they don't explain it and it just is what it is and I think that's great I, love I that, think when yeah. they get a bit too serious about this and, and lean, they lean into the seriousness and away from the metaphor that, of course, Godzilla represented, which was like nuclear war. Um, it's a bit of a strange, a strange decision, like lean more into the metaphor and less into the, you know, who cares if King Kong's bigger? You know, it, it's more fun that way. So, you know, whatever. And if it gets the metaphor across better then great. Awesome. So there you go. And I am I am intrigued to, by the by the new film. I wish we had big screens to go see it on. But, you know, yeah, we have what we too. have. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, but yeah, we'll be talking about all of that for the rest of March. Also, Legend of Korra retrospective coming at you, which will be available. Some book one will be available on Patreon. <laughs> book two, February took a lot out of me, so we'll see how this goes. Um, and a bunch of other stuff coming up. So go check out the Patreon. Uh, support us there on, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, where you can get, again, early access to a bunch of other stuff. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Stay safe out there. We have been professionally unprofessional. <laughs>